If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Nurse Wellness Podcast, empowering nurses to manage stressors so they can intentionally reconnect with their purpose, optimize their wellness, and ultimately show up in the world the way they want to be seen. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Wendy Garvin-Mayo, your stress solution strategist. In this podcast, you'll receive actionable stress management tips, insightful interviews, and strategies that focus on inspiring you to be your best, do your best, and give your best. With that, let's get started. Alexis, welcome to the Nurse Wellness Podcast. This is our special edition called the Pathway into Nursing, our pen segment. Thank you so much for being here with us. This segment, we really target our student nurse listeners because we know that you, along with many other experienced nurses, have wisdom that you can pass along to our aspiring nurses. So thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Wendy, for having me. I'm excited for this more for our podcast today. And yeah. Yeah. So let's start off by you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So I'm Alexis Brim Akins. Um, I've actually been a nurse for about 11 years. I was a um, respiratory therapist for five years prior to branching into nursing. I'm now um, a hematology oncologist nurse practitioner for the last three years, and I'm now pursuing my doctorate degree for the last year. So a lot going on in my world. <laughs> That's a little bit about me. That's a lot. That's a lot to <laughs> unpack. <laughs> So what made you go into nursing? So you were already in the healthcare field, you were a respiratory therapist. What made you transition over to the nursing profession? So you know what is ironic because I initially applied for the a nursing program prior to um, going into my respiratory program. But what happened was there were it was extremely competitive. There were not enough seats, so I did not get selected for um, this particular nursing program. And so I received a letter, I think, that next week saying, you know, unfortunately we we were out of seats, and we would love for you to try to apply again next year. Um, and then I think a week later I received the letter from the respiratory program at this particular university saying, hey, you know, you, you're great. You're all your prerequisites, you know, classes were good. Why don't you try out our program? And so I initially tried to get into nursing first prior to respiratory. And so um, I ended up going into the respiratory program and then loving it um, and then working as a neonate, uh, a neonate, a neonatal respiratory therapist in addition to adult 
And what ended up making me make the transition to go back into nursing and to pursue nursing was just the need to just diversify, you know, my skill set. Um, respiratory is such a specialized field. And I just saw myself after about four years thinking like, what else can I technically do with this? Um, the level of career trajectory in that field is very limited. And so really aspiring to at some point, you know, be able to have more opportunities for growth is kind of what drove me back to say I need to I, I need to actually reconsider going back into the nursing field. So that's a, that says a lot about you, someone who did a whole program as a respiratory therapist and then still transitioned into nursing because we know because we're both nurses. The nursing curriculum is not a piece of cake or a cakewalk like, like I like to, to, to call it. So what was able to kind of keep you on track when you were in this nursing program after already doing the respiratory therapist uh, program, going back in to do nursing? What kind of kept you sane, I guess, is the best <laughs> word to use. If I'm going to be 100% honest, it really was prayer because when I decided to go back into nursing, I had a three-year-old child. I was working full-time as a respiratory therapist overnight. The program that I was going to was full-time during the day. And so I sometimes was getting off of work because I my the job that I, the hospital that I was working in was a block away from the university I was attending. So I would literally get off of work at 7 a.m., and walk around the corner and be in class at 8.30 and be there all day. Um, and that went on for two years. So it, I probably think I burnt out at probably the first six months. And then I realized like when I got off of work, I would go to the chapel actually inside of my hospital and just pray before I went around the corner. And I started kind of adding that to my routine. Um, in addition to, you know, I had great support. Like at the time I was, you know, I, my husband was extremely supportive. So he was doing a lot of the drop-offs and pickups with our daughter because I would not have been able to have done that without him um, really taking up the slack, you know, at that time. But yeah, it was definitely not easy and very challenging. That was a challenging two years. Well, so you had so many different factors, but I think you bring up a really good point about, I call them anchors. So what anchors you to keep going? So I know you said you wanted to diversify your skill set. You wanted to have more opportunities, but what was your why? I mean, you know, working nights, getting off, going to the chapel, going to class, got a three-year-old, got a husband, you got all these things going on. What was the why? Was it really just diversifying your skill set that really kind of kept you going? Because you could have just said, I'm done with this. This is too much. You know what, I think at the time, my why was seeking a better work-life balance, seeking to have more autonomy over my life and my career, and seeking to have like one day a life where I, you know, was able to attend different things that my child was involved in, or I could have more of just a ownership of my own life. Sometimes, you know, working in healthcare, the work-life balance is extremely challenging. And so I think that anchor 
hampered me a lot during that season. You know, I was on night shift for about five, four years or so preceding that. So I'm like, I can't do this for much longer. I can't see myself at 55 or 60 or however old working night shift or just the things that you miss always living in a fog to a certain degree, you know? So those were things that I think anchored me at that time, just really desiring autonomy over my schedule and my life to really be able to make my family a priority because it's hard to do when you don't have autonomy over your life, your work schedule. Yeah, I think that's so important for our listeners out there. You know, it's important to understand your anchor because it Mm -hmm. will get hard, right? Multiple times over, but understanding why you're doing it and not to give up because that anchor will will keep you going, right? Like (laughs) Alexis working, like that is insane. (laughs) I would I couldn't do it now. <laughs> but I think you get into that mode because when I was in school, I was working, I was actually in school in Connecticut and I was working in Massachusetts. So I would drive back every weekend to go to work in the ER as a, a CNA, a certified nursing assistant, and drive back. Yeah. yeah, but and I don't know what, but I think it's really the why. It's really, you know, you 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 want this so bad that you're willing to do anything like, you know, you sacrifice. That's really what it is, the sacrifice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now that you are a nurse practitioner pursuing your doctorate, was it all worth it, I guess, is the question. I'm still in that place. (laughs) Um, You know, some days I I do struggle with that. Some days I'm like, is it all worth it? But truth be told, I really do think it is. Oh, my goodness. This has been such an amazing journey. I mean, I have learned so much about myself that I never, ever would have known not being on this path that I've been on and even being able to challenge myself. Like as you're going back to school, you start to realize like I, as I was thinking about this conversation, you start to realize, wait a minute, I'm in a place where I'm the only person that looks like me, you know, that's career wise, that's in these, um, you know, and in, in the academic areas, you know, and so sometimes it creeps in, like, do I deserve to be here? Like, am I, is this where I'm supposed to be? And, you know, you have all of those things and that's sometimes hard to push through. And so even now, as I kind of think about it, even in my doc, you know, my doc, doctoral program, I'm kind of like, wow, like these are, there's been so many different challenges that I've had to push through physically, mentally, you know, to be able to be at this place. So I definitely think that it was worth it. Um, It's hard. It's definitely not easy. (laughs) And no, I definitely don't regret because even the respiratory, even being a respiratory therapist has created so much more clinical diversity that I've brought to the table as a nurse. So I don't even regret that part of my life. I feel like that was a great intro to even healthcare in general and learning how to own my craft and what I'm doing. So no, I definitely think it was worth it. Is it a, was it a long journey? Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And you brought up something interesting. You said you're the only one. What do you mean by that? So absolutely. When I went, so the first program I did um, as a respiratory therapist was at a community college and community colleges, of course, have very diverse clinical, like student populations. Um, So I did not feel as a minority there. But when I decided to go to, you know, different universities, 
you know, in the nursing program, there was there were not a great deal of minority students or faculty. So a lot of times there's certain things that creep into your mind when you are a minority in certain universities. Like, do I deserve to be here? Am I smart enough? Is this mm-hmm. going to be, am I welcomed here? Like, you know, there's so many different facets that can also creep in. I am glad that when I went for my baccalaureate degree that I was older, you know, I was in my high twenties at that time, I had a better understanding of who I was. Cause if I would have entered that environment in my young twenties, it would have been challenging for me to kind of walk through and navigate. So, um, and then even my master's program was actually, it was very diverse, which is also something that's not usual, but so I didn't have it there as much. But I do. But even when you enter healthcare, when you you know when you are a nurse, nurse, you know, minority nurses are we are the minority. Long and short, you know, if you go to different magnet hospitals, long, larger academic settings, you will be a minority on your on your unit in different groups that you're involved in. So it is something that you do have to become quickly acquainted to and be able to also really speak to that in your own spirit and be able to really attest to your feelings about that and talk those things through at times. I'm so happy you brought that up because as an African-American nurse myself, I went to a predominantly white school in Connecticut, a private Catholic, all girls white school. Um, It was a college at the time in Connecticut. And when I came on campus, I, I struggled with that as well. I was the only Black nursing student. And uh, when I came on campus, you know, it was this thing known that no one of color gets through the nursing program because it's so hard. So when I first came, I was kind of like, oh, well, gosh, I did say I want to do nursing, right? So I really had to use that as fuel. That really was my fuel to say, I'm doing this. Absolutely. I'm doing this. And I remember even having conversations with professors who may have said things, not may have, have said things out of left field about uh, black and brown people in the class, forgetting that I'm the only black person in the class, right? I had to go have those conversations uh, with professors. So I definitely know what you're saying, um, but I felt like for my four years, that was one of my whys because I was said I was told that I would not be able to make it through the gotcha. nursing program. Um, and then you bring up another good point about, you know, launching out into the workforce. Uh, there are not a lot of, you know, Black, African-American, Brown nurses in healthcare. Um, that's why the National Black Nurses Association such a great organization. And I think you brought this up earlier, being connected is important Um, because the color of your skin does not determine your impact. Absolutely. Not determine uh, your worth. Absolutely. We all did the work. We all belong. We all have something to contribute. So I think uh, that was such a great point. Thank you so much for bringing that up. And I want to dig into something else about imposter syndrome. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Talk to me a little bit about that, because I think people see us, you know, you went through nursing school, you have a master's degree, you're working as a hemonc NP, like that's, that's crazy. That's like a, well, I'm also an oncology nurse practitioner. So I know it, 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 that's a hard job. 
right? It's Very a hard job. Um, but again, like, you know, and you're, you're about to become a, a doctorate uh, prepared nurse. I mean, like from the outside, like, wow, you got it going on, right? <laughs> but talk to me about the imposter syndrome because it, it's real. It's real. So, so talk to us a little bit about, first of all, what is it? And how have you experienced it in your career? Absolutely. I think it's so ironic because like, well, the imposter syndrome just is something that typically happens. I would say for me, it happened when I made the transition from being a nurse to a nurse practitioner. You know, now I am in a provider role and you almost feel like you shouldn't be here. You you feel like, oh my goodness, they're going to find me out. They're going to know that I don't know this or, you know, so you kind of walk around sometimes with those levels of insecurity, you know, because of just feeling like you're going to be found out. Like, you know, at some point you're, they're going to realize you don't know X, Y, and Z, or you're really not, you know, suited for this position. Um, So for me, it's, yes, it definitely started when I transitioned into um, the provider role at my healthcare institution. It was not So I think, too, it's twofold when you are so are a minority in a position. It started even for me on the interview process because I was being interviewed for my current role. And I'm looking at the, you know, the HEMOC, their picture of all the nurse practitioners within this hematology oncology department. And there's about 50 to 60 nurse practitioners in this picture. Everyone has their white coat, everyone's standing, they're happy. And the first thing I really noticed was there's one African-American woman and these out of these 60, <laughs> there's maybe one Latino woman, one Asian woman. That's the first thing that, of course, drew my attention. And so then it started for me then as I'm sitting there interviewing, you know, again, how am I going to be perceived if the department is not diversified in this way, you know, because the patients are not used to seeing people of color in these roles. So it's not always about even how you're perceived by your colleagues, but also how are you going to be perceived by the patients you're caring for when they're not used to pay, you know, seeing minorities in leadership roles. So that's kind of where it started. Um, the one thing I can say that really helped me work through this process was I really had a large amount of clinical nursing experience when I entered this role. And it really helped bolster my confidence in what I was doing. So it wasn't like, it was not a role that was extremely foreign. Um, I worked with a lot of autonomy when I was an ER nurse, as far as, you know, seeing these patients, caring for these patients. I was extremely confident and just even my patient interaction, you know, just the bedside manner. And so even what I may not have known clinically at that time, I was still confident in myself and say, you know what, I know what I don't know. And so I was able to seek out different mentors at that time, different people to talk with, you know, how do you guys do this? How does this work? And I think that's also a part of what helps you through that imposter syndrome is really finding a mentor, finding a trusted colleague who you can really debrief with, you can talk through the process with, and really just helping you along the way. Because even when you are confident in your expertise, 
you still need that camaraderie. You still need that, you know, girl, you got this. You know what I mean? You still need that um, just to be successful because you want, you, it's hard. Our healthcare, you don't come home and talk to your family about you know, what you go through, right? Only people who really know how to identify with you are the healthcare providers. So it's good. I think that helps, you know, making sure you have a great mentor, someone who's a trusted colleague who you can confide in, I found helped me a lot with imposter syndrome. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think it's important to understand that. Be confident in what you know, what you don't know, and be comfortable with that concept. Yeah. Because, um, you know, with imposter syndrome, sometimes you don't ask for help because you don't want to seem like you don't know, but really go in saying, I don't know. But I think it adds an extra layer on being the only or one of two Black nurses or nurse practitioners um, in the department. It, it adds that extra layer on because, you know, they always say, they meaning Black people always say, you got to work harder, right? You got to. Yeah. You yeah. think better, you got to, you know, you got to do all this. So we have all those things we deal with. And, and, and I'm saying that because I think it's important for not only uh, nursing students who may be uh, a minority, but also um, nurses of other, you know, backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, even leaders, healthcare leaders. It's important to know that your minority nurses or even nursing students may be dealing with different things. So consider it. Yeah. Maybe dealing with a lot of different things. And I think that's something that we haven't really talked about in nursing. So one thing, and, and I'll just share this, and I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I'll share it because we weren't since we're on the topic, is I've always been thinking about how minority nurses and nursing students are doing in the pandemic. Because our um, our experience is just so different, if that makes sense. And I'm speaking from personal experience, right? Uh, you know, everything that's going on in the world, it, it just, it hits different. But um, again, you just have to push through. And I think it, it brings up the importance of treating everyone as an individual. It doesn't matter what color they are where they're from, how old they are, just treat everyone as an individual, your colleagues, your leaders, your employees, you know, your employers. I mean, anyone you encounter, that's why I'm big on connecting. You have to connect with people so you understand where they're coming from before you can really communicate and understand who they are, why they are the way they they are, why they act the way they act, why they talk, you know. So you got to take time to get to know people on an individual level. So I'll just leave that there. <laughs> and then you bring up mentorship. I think, I don't think, but you need a mentor. It doesn't matter where you are in your career. Nursing students should definitely have mentors who are experienced in the field uh, for a number of reasons. Um, and people, experienced nurses in the field should definitely have mentors who are in the field, right? Like you were saying, it's good to have someone to bounce things off of to, you know, just like, oh, okay. Oh, can you remind me of this? And feel comfortable asking those questions to that person. So, so definitely, yes. And how do you ask someone to be your mentor if you're a nursing student and you're thinking, oh yeah, I would love a mentor, but like, where do you find one? How do you ask someone to be your mentor? Well, that's so ironic because I just found that out myself because that's one of the regrets that I have. I did not get a mentor until literally last year. 
And I regret, and really, truthfully, I think it was foreign to me. I think I just never thought about it up until this point, but I had to get a mentor for my doctoral program. And so I was kind of like, ooh, okay, what does that look like? Or what, what, how does that relationships or how do you ask? And so really what I ended up doing was looking for someone who we kind of had a similar vision. Um, and I also then started speaking with other people who had mentors about, you know, how did that relationship evolve? And I also think not always, you can have the same vision, but not necessarily have to be the same race, right? You know, mentorship doesn't look like the person looks like me. We think a lot. We're best friends. Like that's not mentorship. That's just another friend. So, you know, mentorship, I think when you've identified someone that is in front of you, like they're already where you may be aspiring to go, or they've traversed different terrain that you're now trying to traverse, you know, traverse, that's something where you say, okay, well, maybe I could go to this person. But I think being very concrete and first knowing what are you looking for? You know, what are you looking to get out of this relationship? What are you looking to do with this relationship? Is this also someone who is respectable? You know, do you, have you seen them kind of, maybe even sometimes it's from afar because we live in the social media aspect and everybody is curated pictures and videos. Sometimes you do have to do a little digging up for, you know, about people prior to even asking, because there's nothing like, of course, getting into a mentorship. And then you're like, oh, this is not what I, this is not the person I thought or there, or we're not aligned. So I think first starting with really doing your homework on yourself, then doing your homework on the person um, I'm also an adjunct clinical instructor for a university. So a couple of my students have asked me to kind of mentor them. And initially I was, you know, a little bit like, oh, okay. But then I said, no, I want to have some concrete things in place or else we're just talking on the phone. You know what I mean? And so I think really asking yourself where you're looking to go, what do you, you know, what do you see in this person that you're either trying to emulate or replicate or, you know, how do your visions align and then really pursuing them in a way that of course is respectable, like, you know, emailing and, or whatever avenue you have to them. Um, and just reaching out and asking and being very transparent and really direct about what exactly you're looking to gain and what you really, you know, what do you need from them? And then let, allowing them to set the tone of how your relationship or how you will work in collaboration with each other in that relationship. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and what, what came to my mind is goals. You need to have your goals in place. Absolutely. Like what are, even as student nurses, you need goals because as you enter and launch out into the workforce, you're going to have goals. Even now I have quarterly goals, like for my corporate job, right? We, we yeah. go through goals every quarter, right? So I think it's important now to have goals for yourself. <laughs> and <laughs> excuse me, um, not just, uh, you know, academic goals, but also your personal goals, like your self-care goals, you want to start those now, right? What are you doing for self-care? So your personal goals with, with family, your yeah. family time, um, you know, professional, like, do you need to shadow people? What experience do you want to get? Uh, and then academic, you know, if you're having, you know, problems in, you know, a class or something's just not coming easy to you, despite, you know, you passing the test, 
revisit it because it'll come back up when you're out in the field. So a mentor can definitely help you through that. So I think it's important as you prepare for the profession to get in the habit of making sure you're right in all aspects of your life, not just academic, but hear me again, academic, personal, personal is very, very, very important, especially launching out into the nursing field right now at this time. Um, And I want to talk to you about that, Alexis. So can you tell us a little bit about how you practice self-care now since, you know, nursing, there's so much going on with stress, burnout, the nursing shortage. Now we're talking about capping salaries. It's like, you know, there's so much going on in the profession right now. Um, But how do you maintain your self-care during these times? So my self-care has really, it's evolved. (laughs) It's not a one shoe fits all category. I'm now, I think for me now, I've decided in doing my self-care looks like, how can I take care of myself? And that sometimes does, it it can also be very vanity wise. Like I've said, listen, I'm going to go to the hairdresser every three weeks. I'm going to start scheduling maintenance of myself. I'm going to make sure I keep up with my doctor's appointments and I'm going to not allow my family's things to overrun to the point where now I'm not getting my my maintenance done for myself. Um, And then also really just taking time every single day. You know, I wake up now, the first thing I think I do is I look at what is the verse of the day on my Bible app. You know, I ride into work with some type of inspirational podcast that I listen to. I've listened now to your podcast, Wendy. Yes. And I think of just every single day doing something tangible to continuously keep my mind in a place that doesn't allow the day's challenges to continuously run over me. And so I find that for me, this is an everyday process, the self-care. It is not like, oh, I do this once a week or I do these things. It's every day. There's something that I'm either being, you know, making sure I verbalize I'm thankful for, really seeing the good in something that happened that day, allowing myself to live in that daily moment of that. Because I found that prior to this, I was, you know, just you did something, you know, you may have got a massage that month or you, or every other week. And you're only now living towards that weekly thing or, or monthly thing of whatever you decided. But then I realized as the pandemic continued to creep on, this was not going to be enough. Like I really had to continually cover myself with prayer, with scripture, with affirmation, positive affirmations, and really just thinking through and speaking with people every day that really would encourage me, you know, and really, you know, speak life into me. You know, I didn't, I couldn't do it anymore, only hanging on to something every month or whatever. So those are like just some of the things I've done that have really been help, really helping me over the last definitely two months because as Omicron kicked in, my family, we all had COVID and we were trying to like balance through going back to work, all the changes with you know, staying home if you're COVID, going from 10 days to five days and all of these changes, <laughs> you you end up like that. Yeah. 
you do you just yeah. it, it, so you have it, it was so I needed something every day every day I needed to continuously really just keep myself in a mindset of peace and harmony and what things are going to work for me this day to get me through and encourage myself yeah, no, that's amazing. Those are some amazing self-care practices. And these things have to be non-negotiable. I know, you know, many of our listeners, you know, you're, you know, going through nursing, you, you have, um, you know, you have it in your mind that you want to help people, but you have to help self first. And that's why self-care is so important. You have to help self first. And now is the best time to start practicing that. So I work with um, nurses and nursing students. And, you know, in the program that I have, I always tell them the first thing that they have to do is you have to put yourself on your calendar. Yes. Literally not like, okay, no, put yourself on the calendar and post it so we can see it. You got to put yourself on the calendar. So I challenge all of you listening, whoever can hear, you know, my voice, put yourself on the calendar, at least a three to five minutes a day. Yes. And then when you're on the calendar, you can make the choice to say, I'm going to ignore myself when that time comes up. Right. Or you can reschedule yourself, mm-hmm. but make sure that you are on the calendar. And that's non-negotiable because in order for you to fill anyone's cup before you can go out and take care of anyone, you need to fill yourself up first. And self-care would not only benefit you, but your, your family, your patients, your profession, you know, your mental health. I mean, everything. So, and that's not selfish. I think that's something too, that we have to destigmatize. That's not selfish to put yourself on a calendar. You know, sometimes the world makes us think that, that that's selfish. Like you have to put everybody first and no, your mental health, the way you're, your internal, you know, the way you're just, you're, I, I've just had so many different revelations just over the last three to four months, just about how, you know, we have allowed ourselves to think like, if we put ourselves first, this is like selfish and we need, especially as mothers, you know, we need to always put ourselves in the background, but you're so right. When your cup is empty there, you can give, you can give to no one, no one. And we try all the time. We pour ineffectively from an empty cup. Absolutely. And that's where stress and burnout and all that comes in. And, you know, one thing that I advocate for, and I hope that more um, college colleges and universities, School of Nursing, will really implement wellness into their curriculum. Absolutely. Because our nurses need it, especially where we are now as a profession. Nurses really need to understand the importance of wellness, self-care, and how that's linked to overall health. Um, it's not just about learning the techniques and the science, which is very important, right, to do the job, but really, how do you take care of yourself? Because it's something we don't learn. And, and like we said at the beginning of this discussion, nursing school is stressful. Very much so. I mean, those were the four most stressful years of my life. <laughs> I Very much so. <laughs> and no one was talking about wellness, stress management or anything like that. So I think it's important, you know, even, you know, for nursing students to advocate for yourself, you know, you can talk to your professors and yeah. your, your deans about this. Like, what are we doing for our 
students, you know, for, I mean, you, you yeah. can be that trailblazer. And that's another be beautiful thing about nursing is we are advocates and we think of advocacy in terms of patients and healthcare, but we are advocates for ourselves. Like a lot of us are advocating right now for nursing, for wages and safe staffing and all these things, but we have so much yeah. power as nurses. That's why it's a awesome profession. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, yeah. So this is really good. So before we wrap up, I just want to take you through a quick rapid fire, if that's okay with you. Sure. <laughs> All right. So tell me the first thing that comes to your mind to answer the question or finish the statement. Yeah. One thing I learned about myself during this pandemic is resilient. Mm, that's a good one. One thing that I would tell an aspiring nurse who's launching into the field is mentorship. Get a mentor. You don't, there's so many unnecessarily bruises you have to take when you have someone to help guide you through. Get a mentor. Yes. If I could do something else besides nursing right now, I would be. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I would probably be, I would probably be a teacher. I don't believe that I would teach children. I, I think I would be more at the college level. Like I, I've found I've had a real love of teaching um, that I didn't know I had, you know, prior to this pandemic. Um, just teaching college students has really been more rewarding than I initially thought when I went in. But having to having to kind of pivot because of COVID and having to teach in a way that is not the cookie cutter way that was already formatted for us and allowing me to think outside of the box to help them get scenarios has really, that was very rewarding for me. So yeah, teaching. Nice. One thing you know now about nursing that you didn't know in undergrad is? Yeah, I would be a, min a minority. I did not know that. I did not know that. Wow. That's I, interesting. I did not. Wow. I think just because of a lack of exposure, I really did not know that I would really be walking in and be a minority in a lot of the, the um, jobs that I would be taking. I did not know. Wow. Wow. That kind of blew me away. <laughs> that, that's real. That's real. And one book or quote or saying or piece of wisdom that you would give to a new nurse launching out into the field is? Oh, um, it's a, it's actually a, a verse in the Bible. It's in Luke. It says, um, too much is given, you know, much is required. Um, I think that this is a fantastic field. This is, I mean, this field you can do whatever it is you want to do as a nurse. It's so broad. You have, it's limitless, your opportunities as a nurse, but it's definitely going to require that all of those gifts and talents that you've been given, that you will literally be put to the test with all of them. It's going to require a lot of you, but you're going to get a lot out of it. 100%. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alexis, for spending time with us and sharing your story. This was an amazing discussion. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Wendy, for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. 
Between episodes, you can follow the Nurse Wellness Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Before you go, I would love to share a free mindfulness ebook with you. Go to stressblueprint.com backslash 35 and download your free copy. Until next time, go out and be your best, do your best, and give your best. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.